Hey guys, what's up? It is week 267 and I got a bunch of reviews for you, so let's hop right into this. The first one up is from the MVD Marquee Collection and this is the Fabulous Baker Boys. It's from 1989. Um, I, I just heard of this in passing, to be honest. So um, it has Jeff Bridges, Bo Bridges, uh, and Michelle Pfeiffer are the big uh, stars in this one. So 89, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer is pretty hot stuff. Jeff Bridges has always kind of consistently been a beloved actor and his brother Bo Bridges which is nice. Bo's significantly older, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, right away, it's it's awesome to see two brothers get to act together. Um, there are numerous movies, uh, but not that many together. They're, if anybody doesn't know, their father is Lloyd Bridges, uh, another classic actor before their time, obviously. And, and uh, he became kind of a more comedic actor later do- down the line. Um, but yeah, so this one follows two pianists that have like an act together. They've been uh, acting or performing together for 31 years uh, for something like that. And they've been like kind of on the road for 15 years uh, doing these shows and like kind of dive bars. And they have a complete difference in, uh, you know, kind of attitude and everything like that. Um, so Bo Bridges kind of handles all the, the bookkeepings, the bookings, all this kind of stuff, the kind of upfront stuff. And he's not as good or I guess uh, as artistic of a piano player as Jeff Bridges. But uh, Jeff Bridges kind of acts too cool for school kind of attitude, but he's clearly has a little bit more under the surface. So they clash on their personalities and all this kind of thing. Jeff Bridges is wonderful in this movie. You know, to be honest, like, gun to head, like, if you had to say one of the the most iconic American actors or best, like, Jeff Bridges is in so much stuff, all the way back from the the last picture show and and everything. So he's just in so many good films and so many memorable films, and he always does a very good job. So you got to give it up for Jeff Bridges. So like I said, I'm not as familiar with Bo Bridges, but I did really like him in this, and I loved seeing those two act against each other. Michelle Pfeiffer comes in, and they're looking for kind of to spice things up to maybe bring more appeal to their show as as a singer. And uh, this movie does have this moment where they have the montage because this movie is like a comedy drama romantic deal but it's not I'll laugh out loud funny you know it's more I guess I don't even want to say intellectually funny because there is some you know generic cheap jokes like the montage when they're testing people out to be the front singer we have all these different kind of eccentric characters that are just really poorly poor at what they do in in extreme ways right and and we have that like so many 80s movies or so many movies in general even even stuff like the first one that comes to my mind is Let's Get Hair which is an uncommon valor type story where they they go into like a war torn place to rescue their friend. They have like a, a a montage scene where they interview mercenaries, and one of which is David Hess. So that's what it makes me remember. And it's always a comedic over the top thing here, and and it's just like verbatim. This scene is in like every movie. So so essentially, what happens is uh, they they end up hiring Michelle Pfeiffer. She's really excellent. She's a call girl, so it adds this layer of kind of sexiness to her, sexual intrigue, I guess. And, and uh, of course, over time, Jeff Bridges and her kind of start a relationship, um, and, and they they climb up the ranks. And this complicates things. It kind of shows, like you know, what Jeff Bridges wants out of his life and what Bo Bridges wants, and all this kind of stuff. And there's some really great, you know, uh, acting moments uh, with the with the two brothers, especially when they kind of start reminiscing about old times. Um, and, and I guess a lot of the comedy routine comes to the bickering between all three of them. That stuff works really well. Um, yeah, the music's great because. It, you know, it's, it's a lot of like, I, I would say maybe like jazzy piano stuff, but classic piano stuff and all this kind of 
entertainment stuff and there's a lot of smoky cinematography and different kind of bars and like I said it's not laugh out loud funny but it is funny especially you know they're in like the club trying to perform and there's just loud noises and distractions and all this kind of stuff and the height of the insanity kind of happens when Bo Bridges books them on a, a kind of like a you know the a cheaper version of the Jerry Lewis kind of you know money kind of uh, what is it like uh, the money drive or something like that so charity drive so as far as the special features are concerned um this is executive producer sydney pollack and that makes a lot of sense we have an audio commentary with the writer director steve Cloves, hosted by twilight time julie kurgo and nick redmond who has passed away unfortunately audio commentary by director of photography michael balhaz isolated music and effects track the fabulous baker boys 1989 behind the scenes featurette only seven about seven minutes jeff bridges and bow bridges 1989 behind the scenes three minutes michelle pfeiffer 1989 three minutes behind the scenes featurette so and deleted scenes at 21 minutes and the movie runs about uh just under two hours if i'm not mistaken so that that extra 20 minutes would have been quite uh you know an add-on to this movie but uh i had not seen this i had not heard too much about it but i did definitely enjoy it you know it's good to mix things up and not watch only you know cult movies this might have a cult following though because of who's in it and everything like that but i it was kind of a nice little change of pace you know uh, a kind of refresher but anyways i enjoyed it um it looked and sounded pretty good i thought the the surround sound it was it's a it's not like a big like mix 5.1 but a two-point mix it was pretty good you know it, it, sometimes you get these two points, uh, these audio mixes that are, you know, one channel, two channels, but they're just, they don't play very well. Like you'll hear like the wrong things coming out of the wrong parts of the speakers. This one was done very well. So fabulous Baker boys, check it out. And there's this whole other side story with Jeff Bridges and his dog, which kind of gives you some humanity to his character. And, uh, there's a couple blow ups and stuff, like I said, that are really good with the characters. So check out the fabulous Baker boys. I enjoyed it. Uh, good stuff. And, uh, yeah, long leg Jeff Bridges. He's excellent. So. And Michelle Pfeiffer, too, you know. Uh, Jeremy, who's on the show, loves Michelle Pfeiffer. And uh, good reason. She's she's very good. And, and, like, it's weird. Sometimes a lot of these actresses tend, like, you forget, you don't, you don't remember them. And you're like, you, or people in general from the 80s, or and you see them pop up, and you're like, whatever happened to that person? I'm sure Michelle Pfeiffer's been consistently working. Hopefully she has. But sometimes you're just, people start changing it, and they're not in the movies you're, you're, you're invested in anymore, and stuff like that. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, oh, did Michelle Pfeiffer pop? up in uh mother what well, i remember one of these classic actresses from like the 80s popped up in mother and i remember, i feel like it was michelle pfeiffer anyways uh yeah check out the fabulous baker boys um yeah i enjoyed it pretty good the next one here is from the mvd rewind collection and this is monday morning and of all the years of checking out movies and everything like this i had never heard of this film you know, I, I maybe, maybe, I don't even know if I ever saw the cover or anything. I never took note of it, Monday morning. And this is a directorial debut of uh, Don Murphy, who's more of a producer. Um, and the actor who I knew in here was Jason Lively from Night of the Creeps. He's one of the National Lampoon movies. So, uh, yeah, um, Monday morning. Now, the director kind of describes this in the making of and stuff like that, the featurettes, as kind of like a breakfast club, 80s, but made in the 90s, this is 95, but I guess a little bit more kind of extreme to a certain extent when it comes to, like, in-school violence and everything like that. So, essentially, we have a group of kids that are there entering this new school, and their parents are just there to work in an industrial area or something until everything gets set up. 
we have kind of this troubled young man who wants to be a musician and all that kind of stuff. And him and his father butt heads, of course. Um, one day he starts kind of like this uh, this relationship with one of the the locals and everything like that. And this kind of upsets uh, her brother, who um, is just a real psycho. You know, '80s psycho. He feels more like an '80s psycho, even though it's '95. But your typical, you know, James Spader role or something like that um, from New Kids. <laughs> not not as extreme, but damn near close okay so essentially he has his group of thugs one of which is jason lively like i said from night of the creeps and the national lampoon uh um one of the i don't remember which vacation movie the kids always changed between them so um essentially what happens is one day it kind of escalates in the school somebody brings a gun and everybody thinks that this young man is fully responsible for someone getting shot and, and all this kind of stuff and there's a police standoff um the movie has a very strange tone and it, i don't know if it comes down to the writing or the acting don Murphy pretty much did everything on the film and it's just got a very strange you know it carries over to the 80s feeling but it also has that 90s kind of like cheesetastic kind of quality and it's like it's not intentionally like kind of cheesy and everything like that but it has like that layer of cheese um, so, so like the characters take things that are just like, whoa, or they're a little over the top or a little, the dialogue lands a little clunky. Um, at one point there's a, there's a fur, very funny kind of scene during a hostage situation where the police detective, his son is actually in there and he's like, Hey guys, I brought you some food. It's pizza. And the kids that like, cuts back to the kid and it's like a long, cause it feels like a little too much air in between the shot. And the kid's just, he's way too cheery for the situation. He's like, thanks dad. Cool. And it's just very awkward in that kind of way. Um, like it's obviously that the filmmaker does, uh, know what he's doing to a certain extent. Like, I mean, this is his first film and later on he would produce many, many hits and all this stuff, including double dragon. He, he was behind that. So like to say like a bad mouth, somebody's first movie with this numerous amount of cast members in it, it, it is, like it is what it is you know it's a first film with a lot of cast members on a budget throwback to the 80s and it has a 90s cheese now i do think some people will find this unintentionally funny at moments especially the over-the-top acting from certain characters in the film um so, so there that is there as well but uh it, it does kind of have like um like if, if people wanted to write like more in depth, like the side, the these characters' lives at home in the Breakfast Club or something like that, and that's nowhere near as quality as the Breakfast Club or anything like that. But as far as the special features are concerned, uh, concerned, um, we have um, what is it? We also have an original VHS uh, version under the title "Class of Fear," which is what he wanted. He didn't want Monday mornings, even though they incorporated a song, um, a, a hit song too, in here. Um, interview with uh, writer director Don Murphy. 52 minutes, which is nice to hear. Enjoyed that. And Don Murphy, portion of a producer, 24 minutes. That's where he talks a little bit about his career. And this guy's worked with tons of people. So um, he's kind of a, a bigger name in production, obviously, now than he was making directing films. But uh, the 52-minute making of, like the, the interview with him, he goes into depth how this thing got made and, and all the finance, all this stuff. It's pretty in-depth and interesting, to be honest. And uh, he definitely loves films. And Monday morning, like I, I feel like a lot of people might really enjoy this kind of movie movie or something at this time because like and it's like you could get something out of it but you could also get a couple laughs out of it but at the subject matter alone you know uh, guns and schools is obviously not something that a lot of people are going to want to watch now but hey I, I mean at the same time maybe you could check out what they were doing in 95 with it you know this is before Columbine and all that kind of stuff and it's a different kind of gun in a school movie um, it sounds weird but that's the way it is going to be MVD uh, rewind collection check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley okay the next one is from Full Moon Features and I believe this is one of the 10 the the 10 movies they had made and this is baby oopsie yeah this is a sequel kind of just baby oopsie's getting her own movie from demonic toys and doll man versus demonic toys and and 
Puppet Master vs. Demonic Toys. So Baby Oopsie, and this is actually directed by I want to yeah, William Butler. And now William Butler was an actor originally. He popped up in stuff like Night of Living Dead 1990, Friday the 13th Part 7, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Leatherface, um, Ghoulies 2. He was in a lot of in a, a movies, a slew of films. And then he became a director and he, a writer and stuff like that. And he worked on a lot of independent movies. Now, um, when we covered 2005, we covered Return of the Dead 4 and 5. And I said that it was one of the poor, most poorly written movies of all time. Um, and I, he wrote him. So then I felt really stupid when somebody told me, you know, William Butler wrote a completely different script than what was made. He wrote zombies in a roller coaster theme park. So like you can tell too, like the movies are very sloppily directed and everything and just don't really make any sense. You're not sure which chronological order any of them are supposed to go in. They shot the wrong one first or something like that. Try to patch it together. So regardless, I'm going to apologize to William Butler, even though he probably won't watch this, but just for the fact that I was talking shit about returning the writing in those movies. And I, my understanding is that it, he wrote something completely different and they put his name on it. And I don't, I don't think they, he got what he wrote a hundred percent. I wish you know, those movies had special features on there and stuff like that when I watched them because I was very interested in what the hell happened behind the scenes of Return of the Dead 4 or 5. Now let's get into Baby Oopsie. So the plot of Baby, Baby Oopsie is pretty fun. And I think this one was actually one of the ones made in, in Cleveland area, so that's really cool, too. I'm, oh, I'm a Ohio guy myself. So, um, yeah. So we have this kind of, I guess, famous YouTuber. She she does, um, like, uh, reviews of dolls. She brings dolls back. Not reviews, but she brings dolls back to, like, reconstructs them, you know, antique dolls and all this kind of stuff. And she's, like, this kind of overweight woman. She's very strange. She lives with her, like, I think, stepmother, and they have a bad relationship, of course. It's kind of by the book in this kind of situation. But her, all the characters in this are super over the top and ridiculous from the mailman that's it's trying to be your friend to the neighbor who's absolutely ridiculous to every character to some punk bullies that are riding around that pick out a full-grown woman so it's very much you know like tropey goofy playing on those tropes and being silly at the same time all the characters are like just absurdly weird like they're from a trauma movie or something along those lines so um one day she gets this uh this uh, baby oopsie in the mail it's all kind of messed up and she starts to put it back together and everything like that and eventually of course, you know, baby oopsie, you know, she's been, this is her mother now. So she starts picking off some of the, uh, the people that are causing her trouble in her life, but that's not everything that's going to happen. Right. Uh, baby oopsie is evil. You know, if you've ever seen demonic toys, so baby oopsie's got some, you know, some tricks up her sleeve. So yeah. And of course we're going to have a showdown and everything like that. So this was funnier and goofier and just more, just more self-aware than I expected from a lot of the, the more modern day full moon stuff really isn't my jam from Ouija's and stuff like that. I didn't care for that so like i just really didn't care all that much so but like at a certain point you got to remember that now like i guess a little bit more independent people different voices are directing these movies even though william butler worked on ginger dead man as well so you know it, it just i thought it was much better than expected like I, I and i enjoyed it you know just like i said most of these newer full moon movies aren't my jam i love their older stuff um, you know pre like 2000 like 2000 and stuff like that was all i like that kind of style um, but you know, uh, this one it, it had some good laughs, some ridiculous characters. I think that if you have a group of friends and, and you're sitting and, and having some, you know, party favors and everything, I think you'll get a kick out of it. And you know, there's some gore and all that kind of stuff like that. And uh, the doll, you know, the doll's better than a lot of a lot of uh, you know really low budget dolls. And I don't think there was that much CGI used. Um, as far as the special features are concerned, we have a behind the scenes, a video 
Media Zone all dolled up and uh, full moon trailers. So anyways, uh, yeah, uh, bad baby. Very, very bad baby. Anyways, I'm sure um, it's better than the Iron Cross, uh, you know, Blade sequel or Blade spinoff movie. I've not heard too many positive things about that, but this is Baby Oopsie. Um, better than expected from Full Moon. Uh, yeah. Okay, the next one up is from Kino Lorber, and this is The Good Son, um, directed by Joseph Rubin is the name, I believe. And uh, yes, this has Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood. David Morris is in this. And you know, in 1993, this movie, I was about seven when it came out. I definitely did see it. It definitely left left a lasting impression on me, honestly. Um, so yeah, The Good Son was one I really never forgot. Thought it was a good time to rewatch. So I popped it in, and the first thing I noticed was, you know, the score was by, um, geez, who was it? Elmer Bernstein, a uh, classic composer. I was like, well, that's excellent. You know, The Great Escape, Stripes, all uh, tons and tons of bigger, older movies and everything like that. So, you know, and then he switched to comedy with like, you know, Stripes and everything and did a lot of comedy scores for a while. So he switched him kind of back with this. Um, it's a little different score, I guess, for him at this point, even though he's done tons of scores, but the score is good. Um, and I noticed the cinematography was really excellent. The movie opens up in like the Southwest and we see the mountains in the background and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, oh yeah, yeah. And I know later on they switched to like New England. So then they, they kind of explore that. There's a lot of, um, um, establishing shots of the city, beautiful location, that kind of thing. They definitely like classed it up with the cinematography. Although some of the wider shots, you see some people that aren't supposed to be there in the cliff scene, there's somebody standing there. And then like in the wide, you can see stunt double but the stunt double stuff it's like come on they weren't expecting you to be able to put a microscope on everything now with your televisions and stuff like that so that's easily forgivable so essentially the plot is elijah wood uh is is the son he has a sick mother david morris is his father and uh the mother passes away he's uh, elijah wood's young in this very young of course and he's sent to live for a couple of weeks while his father takes care of some business with his uh, aunt and uncle in New England. And Macaulay Culkin is his cousin, and he has another cousin there, a girl, which is actually, I believe, Macaulay Culkin's actual sister. So uh, he moves in, and he's obviously having a hard time adjusting to life after the loss of his mother, and he's got a great sadness about him. Macaulay Culkin and him kind of hit off, hit it off at first, maybe, possibly, question mark. And, um, you know, until you kind of realize that Macaulay Culkin is your classic evil kid, thank God. Uh, bad seed or something along those lines or any of those kind of evil kid movies like that so you know and it starts off small just kind of like kicking him in the leg under the table or and then eventually it escalates where he shows him his dark side um it's very funny because like these are the kind of movies that like i think people from different countries would watch and just like if they don't know better it would be like all these americans are so rich because every movie like in the 90s like everybody and you're either dirt poor or you're like super rich like in the you know what i mean in movies you're never like actual middle class or just like how middle class people live they never actually portray that ever right i mean the closest you probably get would be like et or something right and they probably have way more money than a lot of people just like a single mother if i'm not mistaken it's like oh they're like anyways i don't know it's been a long time since i watched et but you know what i'm saying right like it just feels like everybody's like a millionaire or everybody's like a dirt farmer i there's no medium and there's no like accuracy to be honest as far as i can tell um, I did know people that live like this, but, you know, they most certainly weren't the typical. So, anyways, uh, yeah, like, Macaulay Culkin's acting in this. He kind of goes for the dead-eyed sociopath in a lot of ways. The manipulative, when he turns it on, you can tell he's turning it on. And he, in a lot of ways, he seems really dead, but also, like, just kind of blank-stared in a lot of ways. And Elijah Wood, I think, is the better, or or more, I guess, it's really hard to compare their performances, but Elijah Wood's always been good, and he's, he's good in this, too. But uh, it has a lot of iconic scenes that I never forgot, you know, the dog chasing them 
Graham, the nail gun revenge, all this kind of stuff here. And of course, the gaslighting from Macaulay Culkin, it can be aggravating, right? It is in a beautiful location. Like I said, the cinematography and the music is very professionally well done. Um, the acting is solid, and especially from the adults, they're all good too. Now I know this movie got a lot of heat on Letterboxd, and I, I just like, it's not it's not that horrible. I mean, I think it's pretty good. It could be a product of me seeing it at a young age and being, you know, having a connection to it, most definitely. But the to like the actual hate it is getting from a lot of people is just like, come on, guys, you guys, you guys ain't never watched, you know, a movie that costs six dollars and filmed in the backyard because I like a lot of those, too. So, you know, they just don't understand true crap. Um, uh, so, so like, I understand maybe they say it's soulless or whatever, but I really don't think so. Like, I, I, I thought that was entertaining and I thought it had the very ending. Like, everybody remembers that ending. Like, I, I remember, uh, like, just asking people, what would you do in that situation as a kid? And just, like, have it just, it's, it's a powerful ending, right? And it has, like, it, it does feel like it could be a little bit by the numbers now, but, but, you know, in the 90s, this was probably the template for Killer Kids movies. I, I don't remember when Mikey and Milo came out. There's two other Killer Kids movies and then The Paper Boy. So we, we had a lot of killer kids movies in the 90s we covered like i covered at least two or three in 94 um three i think three um killer kids movies in 94 and it was a typical killer kid like one kid or something and he's off not your children of the corn style uh, uh cult of kids killing like who who can kill a child or kill children with the corn or something like that so like we have a lot of these weird individual kids killing people in the 90s as far as the special features are concerned on the good son um first and foremost i'll say that it sounded and looked really good um, Macaulay Culkin, uh, why am I saying Macaulay Culkin? Anyways, it was David Morris' interview, uh, with him, and then, uh, the ones who played, uh, Macaulay Culkin's parents are also interviewed on here. Um, and then finally, I believe the director and the DP are both interviewed on here as well. So that is nice. If you like the movie, then it has some features on there as well. That is The Good Son by Joseph Rubin, sorry, Macaulay Culkin, Elijah Wood. Yeah, check it out. Could do a lot worse. Okay, next up is the Patreon pick from, I believe this was Chris Rivers. And he has never let me down. He always picks classic, good cinema. And this time around, he picked The Chase by Arthur Penn from 1966. Arthur Penn actually directed Bonnie and Clyde. And he directed Little Big Man with um, Dustin Hoffman, which is one that I have seen. That's the only Arthur Penn movie I had seen. I know crime, crime, crime for not seeing Bonnie and Clyde. So what we have here is The Chase with a great cast um, as Robert Redford, very young in here, 30-year-old Robert Redford. And it has Marlon Brando. And there's just a slew of other people in here. Um, like going down the list, a lot of uh, geez, I, Robert Duvall is in here, um, and it has an amazing big large cast. Everybody's top notch in here. E.G. Marshall, um, who the more I see, the more I like. I mean, he's just a tremendous actor from uh, Twelve Angry Men to Creep Show. The guy's really good, and uh, of course, so is Robert Duvall. I mean, like the dude's been acting forever, all the way from to to Kill a Mockingbird, and he never lets you down. Uh, so Marlon Brando is an actor that I know, and I've seen a handful of things, but I, of course, The Godfather, and, and but I haven't seen as many early Marlon Brando movies as I should have. Um, I've seen a lot of the '70s and stuff like that. And then even into the later days where, you know, they always said he had cue cards and he just was a pain in the ass to work with. Hence, Island to Dr. Moreau. So I've seen those. But, uh, man, Marlon Brando is fucking excellent in there. Newsflash, Marlon Brando, a good actor. You know, I mean, he's the one that so many other actors from the 70s looked up to and aspired to be Marlon Brando, right? Um, so anyways, what we have here is um, Robert Redford is, who is his name? Uh, Bubber, Bubber Reeves. He has uh, committed some sort of crime and he's kind of like on a chain gang work farm uh, prison. Um, and him and another prisoner kind of escape 
And this other prisoner ends up beating a guy to death. So that makes it even worse. Uh, Robert Redford's obviously bothered by it. He's headed back to his hometown. And uh, um, the sheriff, um, local sheriff, who is uh, Marlon Brando, he gets word about that he's coming back. And other other people in the town start to get word of it, and uh, it kind of causes this mass hysteria while Robert Redford's on his way back to kind of find his wife. It complicates things because his wife is dating the son secretly, having an affair with the son of like the richest guy who thinks he has Marlon Brando in his pocket um, as well. And a lot of the small town folks in here, um, they have a lot of like uh, like intricate details with each other. So essentially, Robert Duvall works at the bank as kind of an assistant manager, as, as does another man. I can't remember his name. And um, Robert Duvall's wife is sleeping with that other assistant manager. And, um, you know, so it complicates insanity. Robert Duvall's character is completely meek and shy and everything. So it sets all these kind of different characters up. And, you know, it's just the worst set of circumstances and the worst uh, series of events unfold to cause this kind of tragic ending of the film. And you know it's going to be tragic right from the first 20 minutes of the film. And uh, at the first, like, 20, 30 minutes, like I said, they establish a lot of these characters really well. Well, and there's these three kind of idiots, including one of the assistant bank managers, it's not Robert Duvall, that they introduce them. And, and the way they're introduced, um, just kind of giving the sheriff a hard time about, you know, so-and-so Val Moore, Val Johnson is basically has him in his pocket and all this kind of shit. And you hear that two or three times before you even meet Val Johnson. So when you meet Val Johnson, you're like, oh, this is E.G. Marshall. He kind of runs the town with all the money and all this kind of stuff. Special treatment has the sheriff in his pocket, which he doesn't really. And a lot of people think a lot of things about the sheriff that aren't true. Um, so, uh, anyways, like all these characters, these idiots are introduced and at first it starts off as like, you know, badgering him a little bit, kind of joking. And like, yes, there's three of them. And like, and later on when the one is just kind of introduced and he's like this quiet rage, you can just sense it right away. Like, you're like, that's the dangerous one. And like, I said that right away and then it pays off. All this stuff is set up really well. Um, so Robert Redford comes back to find his wife and all this kind of stuff. And he, he can't immediately go there cause everybody's looking for him. And like, it just shows this small town mentality this bigotry all this kind of stuff so beautifully um i love the movie i think it's tremendous i think the acting is tremendous i think all the the uh character interactions and the dialogue is just wonderful and it's really messed up uh, marlon brando is excellent robert redford's excellent um eg marshall is great um the script is great um the direction is great i have no complaints about this movie i think it's amazing it's an amazing film i'm super happy to have watched it um and like i said it's one of these movies that it, its message is right in your face you know like it, it does it in a way though like it, it's i wouldn't even say like exactly isn't a message but it just shows it paints this town it paints what can be wrong with you know people in general and how they work and mob mentality and and just ignorance and not minding your own business so it's like um it's just a bad town like in general like and the sheriff doesn't want to be there and it's just he's stuck in the middle of this this hell and and just you know somebody that commits a, a petty crime is the one who ends up doing jail time well or for getting blamed for lots of things like that well well you know people that are just genuinely awful people are probably not going to get in much trouble or anything but that's the chase uh excellent movie i rented it on amazon prime um i know i if there is a blu-ray i will pick it up it's definitely worthwhile and initially when he said the chase i thought he was talking about the charlie sheen 90s movie and i was like well i hadn't seen that in years are we ever going to do the chase from the 90s 96 or something like that i was like i wouldn't mind watching that but i'm glad it was this one you know um excellent movie um definitely gonna try to check out bonnie and clyde asap um i know he's got a slew of other movies too that i i'm sure i would love because little big man is a good movie too if you know it's been years since i've watched it um anyways that is the chase
Okay, now we're going to hop into those 1980 movies. They did this to you! They're trying to turn us against each other! Just look at them! What do they know about friendship, anyway? I'll get them. You watch. I'll take care of those sons of bitches. Watch it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh, good Lord. It's... It's unbelievable. It's... It's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound respect... Getting very careless. Blood in your hair. What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? Pretty for me. I can't believe you're not afraid. All you have to do is piss on it. Could you care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Evil. Gone, my leg. Gone, my leg. I'm here. You're here. There's a bug bank out there. Messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned. All of it. My son was a son of a bitch, and he was no good. That's it. My son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. Oh, see me. Oh, see me. You're gonna die. Mater Lacrimarum. Ma'am. Mater Tenebrum. He didn't find any boy. Mater Susperiorum. You know as well as I do. Takes all kinds of critters to, to make, make farmer bins and fritters. <laughs> I wonder who the real cannibals are. And the first up um, is uh, 
New Year's Evil. That's right. Um, I'm going to be a little short with this one because, let's be honest, um, I never was the biggest fan of New Year's Evil. I don't hate it or anything like that. So when I, I decided to rewatch it, I was like, what's the best kind of way to watch this movie for me? Not being a huge fan of it. I watched it with some friends and we kind of were just having a good time relaxing and watching the movie. So um, the details on New Year's Evil, are, you're going to be a little kind of jinxed on those or, or ripped off on those, um, to be honest. And I, I do apologize, but at the same time, Time. when you're watching a lot of movies from 1980 you want the best viewing experience for yourself so new year's evil for me was watching it with a couple friends and a couple drinks and just having a couple laughs and i know not at the expense of the movie i, I know that's kind of shitty but it, it has that certain cheesy quality that a lot of the actors and i believe the filmmakers involved kind of mentioned that you know it's got that 80s kind of camp cult kind of thing going on and it definitely does so uh essentially this movie uh is you know one of the holiday horror movies you know we have halloween black christmas um my bloody valentine we have a lot of these holiday oriented slashers and stuff like that and new year's evil is one and i've always joked around i said this movie is so lucky it takes place on new year's eve because <laughs> everybody's like well we got to find a new year's horror movie and it's like what new year's evil's right there so a lot of people check it out so it does have a really fun soundtrack because we're following this this uh this this like kind of like hostess or, or host like mtv host as she's doing a countdown um on new year's new year's eve and there's a lot of bands, a lot of 80s hair metal kind of stuff going on playing. And so we get a lot of music in there, which is kind of something I think a lot of people like about the movie. You know, uh, that kind of big hair, big fun 80s music. And, and they like goes into the streets in the movie too there's a lot of punks all around and everything like that which is always a fun staple in 80s movies uh class of 1984 all that kind of stuff right um return of the dead so anyways what happens is uh we we have this slasher that's going around and just like murdering people and every time he calls in after every murder because every time there's a time zone that's going to hit and turn new year's into a different time zone he he murders someone and he calls and he's got like this voice box and of course everybody remembers evil call me evil and he's making his way to this kind of mtv party place where he's gonna you assume kill the the, the host and everything like that um the person who plays the killer um actually popped up in uh magnum force um he said that in the special features I'm like oh shit he does look very familiar and he's really good in this he's really creepy um and he has a, a solid performance uh who is it grant kramer from killer clouds from outer space is in this too and an over-the-top ridiculous performance no doubt there's a lot of kind of side actors that are just ridiculous acting in this like there's like standing there real stiff really cheesy and that kind of stuff is appealing um a lot of the murders are off screen which is kind of a, a poo-poo for a slasher which is another reason you're just like yeah 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 um there is a you know a sex scene here and there if i'm not mistaken and um a couple of the murders are on screen one of the characters like that gets killed like has like a chase scene i, I remember being kind of really dark um she has like the plastic hair that that one was a really well done kind of a murder and there is a twist, uh, a reveal, and all that kind of stuff at who the killer is and all this and how he relates to some of the characters. Um, as far as the quality of the movie, I, I mean, I like how it looks, the light, the 80s setting, the music, and all that kind of stuff. Um, as far And, and, and like, the plot's a little slow. It, it doesn't deliver on a lot of the things you look for in a slasher movie, but it is certainly a memorable one just by title alone and some a couple moments in the movie. So New Year's Evil, I mean, a lot of people adore it, and I could see why to a certain extent. You know, it has to, like, have that, like, cheesy connection to you you know it doesn't have much of a connection with me but i don't hate it or anything like that so as far as the special features are concerned i believe these are from the old screen factory release and i don't know if this is a new new scan or anything like that so we have the audio commentary by director emmett alston moderated by code red's 
Bill Banana Man Olsen? There we go. The Making of New Year's Evil featuring interviews with cinematographer Thomas Ackerman and actors Kip Niven, Grant Kramer, and Tafid O'Connell. And that's very entertaining. Actually, a little bit more entertaining than the movie. Uh, newly commissioned art by Vince Evans and theatrical trailers. So, um, good music. Uh, good time. You know, have, have some fun with New Year's Evil if it sounds like it's up your alley. Is it a slip on there? Same one. So, yeah, check it out. Okay, the next one up is another re-release from Kino that was originally a Screen Factory release. And this is another 1980 movie. And this is from Graydon Clark. And this is Without Warning. Now, this one is definitely more up my alley. And it's been a year since I rewatched this. I, I think I had, like, was there ever a DVD or did I watch a bootleg? I think this one never really got released on VHS or DVD or never got a DVD. Went straight to Blu-ray. Maybe I watched it initially when it got released on Blu-ray. Can't remember, but I have not watched it since. Um, yeah, the cast in this is really good. we got Jack Palance, Martin Landau, um, early role by David Caruso, and Kevin Peter Hall, who plays the alien, who would go on, obviously, to play the Predator. This movie has a very similar plot to Predator, almost the same, and that the idea that Kevin Peter Hall, who played the Predator, is in here as well, is like, hmm, I know, I know what somebody did. I'm just kidding. And then, we, of course, we also have um, um, Cameron Mitchell in a very uh, crazy role. Um, Ralph Meeker and Neville Brand uh, pops up in here. So we got like a bunch of character actors. Um, the funny thing is the two leads are the least noticed people. You know what I mean? Like they're not as memorable to me. But that's kind of what you do. Larry Starch is in here too. I, I know that name and he's pretty ridiculous in there. He plays the, can the um, Boy Scout kind of cub leader. So, yeah, essentially what we have here is like these kids are going on your classic camping trip. They get a warning from Jack Plant at this gas station. He's like, don't go up there, you know, yada, yada, yada. You're typical crazy Ralph kind of shit, right? Um, so they decide to go anyways, screw them, right? And pretty pretty quickly, um, uh, the two of them are dispatched. The other two go in the town for help and they run into this bar and they run into Sarge, who's Martin Landau, who is this, you know, ex-military guy who's witnessed aliens before and all around the town. He's kind of considered a, a local kook. Um, or also at the bar is Neville Brand and Ralph Meeker uh, knocking some beers down. Don't think they were acting too much. I'd really like to know the beer budget on this movie considering all the people in here. Uh, there's probably a lot of drinking going on. Um, but yeah, so, so anyway, Anyways, um, you can kind of see Sarge starting to snap almost immediately after this. And uh, it just becomes this crazy kind of Sarge going nuts and Jack Palance trying to fight an alien and these two kids stuck in the middle trying to survive. Um, very memorable for Jack Palance just screaming alien while running at it. I love that scene. Just um, And I'm a big Jack Palance fan. Everything I see him in, I always say his name wrong too. I always say Jack Palance and then I try to pronounce it correctly. I'm like Palance. I, I just always do it. It's just something I always do. I know. It's just me. Um, so, so like I just love him in this movie, and he's really—he's just really intense and just bonkers as shit. Um, Graydon Clark did so many movies. He did Uninvited with the Killer Cat on the Boat, which is a lot of fun. Satan's Satan's Cheerleaders, um, Black Shampoo. He had so many other ones too. Wacko. Um, he's kind of a, a, a fairly prolific joy, joysticks, uh, you know, director that did a lot of cult movies. Without warning and uninvited are, are, are my favorites that I've seen. Just they speak to me. That's just straight up my alley. Those kind of crazy, weird B movies. But this one, uh, the alien looks really good. He looks kind of like a mixture of your typical alien and then just a little bit more hum human, human, human. One of my no, Jesse Van, uh, one of my Seth Thorson from Abraxas. I'm looking for a man, a woman. Sorry, um, really weird reference. But um, 
he kind of has like the bulbous head that you would expect, like the the grays and stuff. But he's like really tall, and he has these crazy weapons that he throws. They're like these little parasitic creatures that latch onto people and start like eating their their insides and everything like that. Um, in the beginning, there's a really good kind of uh, Cameron Mitchell scene, which I believe had to be a reshoot. And like Cameron Mitchell and his son are hunting, and he's just Cameron Mitchell is such a fucking prick. Like there's this moment where he like points the gun at his son, and he thinks about it. And he's like. Anyways, love Cameron Mitchell as well. Martin Landau over the top as hell. Um, an interesting little note in 1982, Martin Landau and Jack Plants would kind of reunite for a, a really cool slasher called Alone in the Dark, which not your typical slasher, I wouldn't say, but it's a really cool movie uh, about uh, um, you know uh, some escape mental patients um, when they, they just like going out and during a power outage and attacking some people. Um, Anyways, uh, <laughs> this one is a lot of fun. Like I said, it, it, it's got its moments. It has some downtime, but um, one of the characters is killed at a point you really don't expect it, and I, I can appreciate that kind of stuff for sure. As far as the special features are concerned, we have audio commentary, producer, director, Greg and Clark, Greg and Sandy's alien adventure interviews with actor Tara Nutter and Christopher S. Nelson, independent day interview with cinematographer Dean Cundy, of course, who would go on to do legendary Carpenter movies and Jurassic Park, good cinematography, and it shows. And then we have Producers vs. Aliens, interview with co-writer and co-producer Daniel Gronick. Hunter's Blood, interview with special effects make makeup effects uh, creator Greg uh, Canham. And Trailers from Hell with Mike Mendez, newly commissioned art by Vince Edwards. And I like this art. I think it's pretty solid. Um, it's got Jack Palant on there. Um, and, of course, Martin Landau and an alien. Alien! Anyways, check this one out. A lot of fun. Um... There is a chance this will make my top 25 uh, from 1980. I'm just saying. I'm just saying there is a chance. Never know. Uh, Yeah, without warning. The next one up is a real heavy hitter from 1980, beloved by most. And this is John Carpenter's The Fog with a a great cast here. you got Jamie Lee Curtis, Tom Atkins, Hall Holbrook, Adrian Barbeau, Janet Lee, uh, Buck Flower, John Golf. Um, So so it's got a really great little cast in here. Uh, Very entertaining movie. Charles Cipher's in here. So, yeah. So um, this is after, you know, of course, Halloween from 78, John Carpenter. Um, So... This is a nice little ghost story. Uh, really, really good uh, atmosphere, of course. Um, Carpenter, really great score, Carpenter. So essentially what happens is the movie opens up with like kind of like this uh, old man. He's like, oh, you know, like he's somebody, classic, you know, actor, maybe before my time to where I would register who he is. Uh, probably a blind spot. But he's reading this nice ghost story and telling these kids on, on like, you know, about this old group of people that died. Um, like uh, the lighthouse was out and they crashed on the, the rocks. And he said, when the fog rolls, in they'll come with the fog yada yada for the revenge and it's just a really nice setup um and then uh, we kind of we kind of go to I don't remember exactly the details here, but we're introduced to the characters like Tom Atkins is it's kind of a middle aged guy, and Jamie Lee Curtis is this hitchhiker, and he picks her up, and they have a relationship between a young and old. They always make the joke in this one. Adrienne Barbeau does like the radio show, does the weather. She's like a DJ. She's from the in the like the um the um geez, I can't the Light Tower. Uh, I, like yeah, I can't believe I, I can't remember the freaking name Lighthouse. Jeez, I, I grew up in a place that was a peninsula with lighthouses wherever you know what I mean. So I should know what a fucking lighthouse is so she, she's in this lighthouse where she does a show and everything like that and like in the very beginning of the movie like we have this uh great scene it, it's set up wonderfully where um it, it's it's like uh these these people these fishermen are on their boat they're having some drinks there's three of them one's played by buck flower he's always in carpenter's movies and the other's played by john colf i believe i'm saying his name right and this guy and buck flower had a relationship a friendship that they were in tons of movies together from tammy and the t-rex to berserker 
from 1987, the slasher movie. So these guys are in a bunch of movies together. Al- Alpha Incident, just lots of good stuff, and they always have good chemistry. So this is kind of one of my favorite lines in the movie. They're hearing uh, Adrian Barbeau talk about the weather, and there's a fog bank coming in. There ain't no fog bank out there. Wait, there's a fog bank out there. And it sets up this beautiful scene where these ghostly figures enter the ship, and it, it's genuinely scary, super atmospheric, and they're all picked off. So um, after that, we kind of follow this mystery story. It's approaching Antonio Bay. That's the place. Is their hundred, their bicentennial, and all this kind of stuff. So, and, and there's a priest in Hall Hallbrook who finds this old book and bricked up in the wall that tells what really happened, how this town got its money, and everything like that. And it, it involves, you know, that story, the ghost story. So it's just a really well set up story. It unfolds really well, and every time the fog rolls in, people end up dead. Um, the, the actual figures that are stalking them look wonderful. You'll see them on the cover here. This commissioned artwork. Um, in the film, they're just obviously they're hidden in the fog and they're done really well. It's all atmosphere. The music is great. They have these wide shots. If you know the, you see the fog rolling in with the lighthouse. Um, it's just a really good movie. It's just a really solid, um, you know, objectively great ghost story from 1980. Personal favorite, not not my personal favorite of Carpenter's movies or anything like that. But I genuinely see this movie being a very approachable movie for most people. Like most people will enjoy this. The acting is solid. Uh, Janet Lee kind of runs the the town like commission to like celebrate this big bicentennial and everything like that. So like I would really recommend checking the fog out if you haven't seen it i mean newsflash the fog is good and popular yeah i mean like what do you want me to say like everybody's seen the fog i feel like everybody likes the fog for the most part um it's just varying degrees on how much you like it or enjoy it tom atkins is the man even without his fucking mustache i said it um jamie lee curtis you know she she's she's good in it too i mean the dialogue between tom atkins and Jennifer, jamie lee curtis is charming obviously now people be like oh what the age difference there is crazy but uh yeah you know, and, and it's it's not super gory. It does have its moments, um, but everybody in the movie is solid, and the church is great looking. And I, I just don't have that much to say about the fog that hasn't been set. You know, I don't have some inner light on it that and nobody could say. You know, it's just a movie that, like, if you know, put on during Halloween or or put on when your mom or or your somebody that is not a horror fanatic like yourself wants to watch something scary. The fog is a perfect one. You know or poltergeist or something like that i think these movies um they're they're good kind of like um branches too for other people to check out so as far as the special features are concerned i know did uh, there was a 4k release uh recently and i'm sure that screen factory released this one with a 4k master and i'm sure it will have a 4k down the line i'll probably upgrade this one um so new 10 well audio commentary with writer director carpenter and writer producer deborah hill New audio commentary with actors Adrian Barbeau, Tom Atkins, and production designer Tommy Lee Walls, who would go on to direct many films, including the 1990 miniseries It and Fright Night 2 and uh, Halloween 3. Um, In a new interview with Jamie Lee Curtis, Tales from the Mist, Inside the Fog featurette... Uh, Fear on film, Inside the Fog featurette, The Fog Storyboard to film featurette, Horrors Hollows Grounds, and new look at the film's locations. We have outtakes, theatrical trailers, TV spots, and photo galleries. So we got a nice collector's edition, older release. One of the first from Screen Factory, right? One of the first ones I remember getting and being very excited about. So, yeah, that was back when they weren't the only game in town, but they were most certainly one of the most well-respected games in town. Now, you got a lot of competition now with, you know, Arrow and Severin and Vinegar Syndrome putting out a lot of 4Ks and Blu-rays themselves. So, anyways, uh, The Fog, um, if you haven't seen it, please see The Fog. It's it's great, you know. 
The next one here is not exactly a horror film. It's more kind of like a exploitation kind of drama, but it fits in there too, in the, the vein of like maybe a Straw Dogs or, you know, a Death Weekend, I would say, which most people consider these kind of rape revenge films, horror to a certain extent. Um, not all of them, of course. I don't think Straw Dogs is, but I would consider Death Weekend one. I don't know why. That's just the way I am. So what we have here is Wolf Lake. Um, yeah, so this has Rudd Steiger in it, and who else is there? Um, Richard Hurst is in here um and uh, and uh geez peter man Man manatee or manatee um i can't never say his name but it's just i got a few character actors in here really there's only like six people in the entire movie i had not heard much about this burt kennedy this guy did a slew of movies that I, i've actually covered a bunch he did return of the magnificent seven and geez i can't think of he did a couple more that i really liked um i i know I'm, i should i've um geez, I'm skipping out i forgot what they were but anyways he's a solid director did a bunch of movies so Wolf Creek, a uh, Wolf Creek, Wolf Lake. Um, you know, I had wanted to see this one forever. I actually had a VHS of the sucker, and then they released it on Blu-ray, and I was like, "Well, I just wait for the Blu-ray." And then I eventually got to it when 1980 was drawn, and I was like, "Cool." Um, this kind of stuff is totally up my alley. What we have here is Four Hunters. This kind of even has like a revenge kind of. Remember the movie of Revenge that came out a couple years back, four or five years back, where like that kind of plot here. Um, we have these four hunters that are going up to this lodge, and their 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 friend that they expect to find there, the guy who runs the place, isn't there. Instead, there's this young um, this young guy there, 23, and his girlfriend. And right off the bat, you see this generational gap between them. This and, and Rudd Steiger kind of makes a joke about it. And this guy seems irritated from from the bat. Rudd Steiger says, um, "You know, so and so." And he's like, and they makes a joke about his long hair and the beard. I can't tell with that long hair. You might just, uh, if you're a guy or a girl, might be a bearded lady under there. And like, and and the guy's really not having much of that. Uh, and Rudd Steiger seems like kind of a prick, but he's. He's trying to be jovial in his asshole kind of old man way. And this guy is just not very approachable either. So right off the bat, you're like, this is not going to end well. You meet all the friends. One guy seems to have been with Jerry, Jerry something, Jerry Harding, the actor. But he seems to have been with, you know, Rudd Steiger for a very long time. And they have a special relationship, you know, being in the same military for uh, the command, whatever. I believe he was his commanding officer. And Richard Hurd and Peter, uh, Richard Hurd's in a bunch of stuff, character actor. He was in Seinfeld. He's just in tons and tons of movies. And the other actor peter i always say his name man Manitou, he's in day of the animals um he's like i think he's got the bad lag and everything like that so like i, I recognize almost all these guys it's like very cool group of uh, hunters so you know they have like the interactions and everything and and you could tell the t intensity is picking up and the location is beautiful right kind of isolated location lake and on uh, the woods around and uh somehow they figure out that um this guy possibly was a vietnam deserter and that's not doesn't sit well with Rudd Steiger. He lost his son in Vietnam, and like right away when he finds out, he kind of has like this crack in him. And and Rudd Steiger is is anything but subtle in his performance. Anybody seen the Amityville Horror or anything? Rudd Steiger is a pretty big actor, and, and a lot of times it works, and it works in here. But he just kind of has these long, crazy speeches. And I remember he had him in stuff like The Big Knife, where he, he arguing with Jack Palance, bring him up again, and, and like he's just. Um, all this like kind of crazy stuff. So like he has these arguments with this guy and they go back and forth and you can just see the difference in how these people, you know, how people approached Vietnam or how they thought of Vietnam, the older generation, you know, um, a lot of like older actors and stuff like John Wayne came out saying he was for the Vietnam, all this kind of stuff. Right. So like you could see that divide in them and it's very much, you know, right on the heels of Vietnam. So, so it's interesting in that aspect. And, uh, what happens is things get very ugly because Rudd Steiger will not let this go. And uh, he kind of gets the other guys liquored up and they 
do something that's really awful and this guy takes his vengeance and this starts this kind of you know it's not going to end well a lot of people are going to die here it's not going to be a great day at wolf lake and so yeah and, and that's exactly what happens it ends very tragically there was one shot in here where i was really kind of shocked they did it because they don't show you what uh, one of the things that happens which i think is is well done but they do show you the aftermath and that that person is is naked and i was just like I didn't expect to see any pubic hair like that. And it's just like, you know, without showing it, but just showing the aftermath like that, it was just like, that's almost just as effective, if, if not as effective as it, to be honest, because like just seeing that like the day after and everything, it's just like, oh, wow, that's pretty rough. But um, yeah, like I said, um, they do set up some things, pretty obvious things like, well, this, this thing here, yada, 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 don't like the chainsaw. The chainsaw plays a factor in there. Don't think it's going to be like a gore fest or anything like that. But anyways, it worked really well. I um, mean, I enjoyed it. I think it's a really good kind of, I wouldn't even call it, it is exploitation, I guess, in, in some ways, but it's classier than that. And it's saying some things too. Um, it is listed as horror on Letterboxd. Um, the, the director... Burt Kennedy, like I said, he's since passed. There's nothing on here about him, but there's a producer on here who's a, who's uh, talking about the movie and talks about how how this one didn't really get um, any release and everything, and, and how he he like saw other people trying to release Vietnam movies. He's like you guys are fucking crazy, and then they seen that they had success, and he's like, I don't know how, you know, just kind of got SOL on that. But uh, there's an interview with two of the character actors, Richard Hurd, who's since passed away, and um, the other I, I want to make sure I get this guy's name right because he's one of the most interesting characters in the movie for me um uh geez um jerry harden i i just felt like his like kind of delivery and his kind of character was just one of the more interesting kind of characters that's really apprehensive about any of this doesn't want to do this and everything like that but has this loyalty to you know rod steiger for whatever reason but i felt like his his character was one of the better ones to be honest uh, everybody's good in it though but uh their interview is nice because they're old friends and you know they tell some stories about it and working on this and working on other movies um richard hurd seems to remember a little bit more about you know they're working uh, on other films and all that kind of stuff but you know he brings up this kind of stuff too but it was nice to see these two kind of old character actors talk about this movie a little bit and everything like that um and r.i.p richard hurd but uh this is a good film I really liked it. I think that, like they said, you know, uh, Rudd Steiger was a little let down because he thought he was going to get another Oscar. But, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, you, you know, there is a lot of people like Rudd Steiger nowadays. That's just the truth, you know, and I don't think any of these characters in here are unrealistic. Um, so, I mean, what they do at one point seems a little over the top. But, hey, you know, sometimes people do real awful things. So, Wolf Lake, check it out from Kino Lorber. A lot of Kino this time, right? Can't go wrong with Kino, I guess. Okay, the next one up is Sex Hunter 1980. Definitely more of an exploitation film, kind of a pinky film. And this is actually directed by the guy who did Evil Dead Trap 2 and Evil Dead Trap 3, a.k.a. Brutalness of Happiness. Brutal, I don't remember the real title to it. But, uh, you know, Sex Hunter 1980. Definitely get your pervert card out for this one. This is a pervert card pick. Um, and like you'll get on Letterboxd and people are like, this is Suspiria, this is Suspiria. Because it's in a ballet school and it's well shot or it's interestingly shot, I don't know. I don't know about all that. But this is a this is a real kind of sleazy uh, movie. Um, but it's also well made because, you know, the director is good. You know, he, he knows how to make a freaking movie, right? So there's some memorable faces in here. A lot of these actresses I've seen pop up in other things. So I guess we're going to get into this weird complicated story here. So we have this uh, 
uh, young girl. She's performing this ballet, and I believe this girl uh, that approaches her is her sister's, uh, you know, her boyfriend's sister. And she's like, I thought you were wonderful. Why don't you come go to my ballet school, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's a prestige school. And right away, she, like, shows her what... Um, th- there's a beautiful scene where she gets this thing of roses, and she reaches to grab them to read the name tag, and she gets pricked. And it's just like, that's perfect, you know visual storytelling there or foreshadowing right um that these flowers come from someone that they seem beautiful on the outside but really they're dangerous you know and they're gonna hurt you so i like that that was nice so she goes to the school and and this this lady shows her like immediately these weird sexual acts orgies and all this kind of stuff and it gets really graphic right off the bat and after a while she's kind of you know forced into this and there's a a male teacher that comes out and he performs all these real they they rape her of course you know force her to lesbian acts and then rape her she loses her virginity real real grody stuff and um after that she's put through a series of tortures one of which is a soda uh, you know, enema. That's the first time I've ever seen a soda enema. I think it's a vaginal enema. Not that it makes much of a difference. Both, both pretty awful. You know, uh, to see anything like that. I mean, I think I've seen enemas in movies. You know, these pinky movies. A couple of them had it, and of course, water power. But I've never seen a soda enema. Now, does an enema have to be in the rectum, or can an enema be vaginal? I don't know. These are the questions that we need to know. <laughs> I'm not an enema expert, you know. I'm not an EE. Um, so, um, so, anyways, like uh, visually, like there's a lot of good shots. Um, I mean, the people are all really, you know. I mean, the women are gorgeous, but at the same time, you're like seeing like lots of weird stuff here. Horrible stuff happened to him, um, but obviously it's a pinky film, so it's supposed to be titillating, anyways. Um, so what happens is her 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 old boyfriend shows back up, and. His sister, who got her into the school, obviously is trying to hide her from him, but she has a thing for her brother, so we have this incestuous act, and uh, what it kind of folds down into, she's been like forced into like this sex with all these people, and she's like a sex maniac now, and it, it goes to this wheelchair sex scene, which was something I've also never seen. Wheelchair sex scene. Um, there's a lot of first times in this one for me. Um, and it ends in this kind of crazy, um, weird orgy um, with like double mirrors and everything. It's like visually, there's a lot going in here in the frames and everything. When she initially shows her the orgy, we're at a double mirror here. So we like have her looking like um, at her and like we see the orgy in between them. And then we have like a reflection of the rapist guy back here. So it's like all this shit in the frame. And that happens a lot. We have a lot of stuff going on in the frame. Um, so it has like it's a lot of interesting weird stuff going on and it's like grody and just kind of pushes the boundaries and everything so that's sex hunter 1980 um evil dead trap much better movie of course that's a it's pretty much a classic 80s asian film if you if you're interested in that check it out from on earth films I know the sequel's coming out, too. Not directed by the same guy, but still a very good movie. Um, this guy also did a movie called Mermaid Legend, which I've been meaning to watch forever. And he did a couple other ones. I, I Like I said, I think I've covered some of his other movies, too. And he's a good director. He, he's got a good eye and everything like that. Um, so check out Sex Hunter if it sounds like it's up your alley, if you're into the pinky movies, or if you're a pervert. I think you will enjoy it to a certain extent. Okay, I'm going to be relatively quick with these next two. And this one is uh, a Spanish film, To Die of Fear, if I'm not mistaken. There's there's not too much about this one. Now, this is a, a Spanish kind of 1980 movie, of course. And uh, it, it's like a gaslighting story, fairly predictable in a lot of ways. And it's pretty much a three-hander, three, three kind of actors in the entire film. So 
The biggest actor in here for me is like Simon Adrew or Drow. He's in a bunch of movies. He's in a couple of Jose Larraz movies. He's in The Blood Spattered Bride. He just, you'll recognize him. He's in uh, Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. He's in tons of shit, right? He's a classic Euro actor. Still working till like this day, I believe. I still think he's alive, still working. So essentially what we have here is this uh, this guy, he has a heart condition. He's loaded though. And he's just, he can't even have sexual activity. He basically has his new wife and he wants to go to this old manor with her and they and everything like that he has mommy issues he listens to tapes of her she's recently passed and pretty quickly we kind of notice that there's someone else in this house and he's starting to screw with them and uh eventually you're like it's got to be some weird gaslighting kind of story where people are setting each other up and it eventually turns into a ghost story without spoiling too much but you know someone dies and there is money involved and there's a real cool moment where like it's a year of the anniversary of that person's death and we kind of start to have like a weird kind of supernatural element where the same stuff's coming on the radio I was like this is a nice touch kind of felt like you know how like Beyond Terror from this year also used like the radio to kind of put forth supernatural elements like that but uh, as this one progresses I thought it was decent like it's a, it's a well shot well kind of done movie but it's very kind of predictable too it's better than like similar gaslighting stories like the Hammer movie from 1980, the Hammer House of Horrors one. I can't remember what it's called. It's very generic. I covered it. It was my least favorite of the Hammer House of Horrors. But, you know, this one does have its nice touches and everything like that. And it actually does turn into something cool and supernatural, similar to that one. But anyways, this one, if it sounds like it's up your alley, it's a super rare movie. I did enjoy it, but it is kind of a little by the numbers and there's not too much to say about it. Um, but yeah, that is to die in fear. Uh, of fear, I believe. So, I mean, that kind of spoils exactly what's going to happen here. But there is a little bit more than that so anyways uh well acted though too and has some sexy time if you're interested i don't think it's super sexually explicit or anything like that but i do remember seeing uh you know some other reason it looked like a tv rip so i'm just like well i don't know what maybe this was cable in spain because like i said it's a rare movie so if it sounds like it's uh up your alley then check it out it's to die of fear Okay, the next one up is from 1980 as well, and it has That House in the Outskirts. And I believe this is also a Spanish film. It's by Eugenio Martin, who did great movies like... Um Horror Express, wonderful movie. And he also did The Fourth Victim, which is a solid giallo. I guess it's not a giallo if it's Spanish, right? I think it technically is not a giallo. Um, but, you know, Spanish thriller, um, probably Italian money in that one as well. So anyways, um, uh, this one here, um, The House in the outs that Outskirts or something like that. I'm going to mix up the titles. I'm not going to say it too much here. This also, um, this one felt like kind of a less of a horror movie than you would expect. Um, we have this, this woman who's suffering from some illness or she seems to have like some sort of problems and uh, her husband and her go out to this uh, this kind of this new house and they're supposed to stay there for a while and right away she's starting to have like these visions and and like almost like her reality and fiction start to blur and she sees like this kind of medical place and everything like that the lady running them the room is uh, Alta oh, what's her name Alta Valali. Um, she I, I mispronounced her name but she's in Suspiria Eyes Without a Face she's in a dozens of movies um, it's nothing but a game mama she's in, she's in tons of movies you recognize her right away classic euro horror actress so um anyways what happens is um so so like she starts to like have these visions and her reality and you think she's losing her mind but 
there's not there's more characters in here who aren't on the level and this house really isn't on the level either so the more you figure out about the house the uh, what it used to be the more you figure out about the story you figure out about her past you figure about other characters past and there's a reveal towards the end of the movie and before that there's not really any violence or murder until that reveal happens and then some of the characters are killed or attacked in, in a fairly brutal way and we find out everything that's going on and it does take a little long to get these kind of details so like it's an okay movie like it's it's okay it's not perfect um it is interesting you know with some context or some more like background or maybe a better print this movie could be a little better because you know it's not poorly directed obviously the director has style and he's he's pretty good at what he does seeing horror express and like the music isn't bad um the same goes for the other movie too to die of fear i believe that one of the other had a good score i can't remember which i know that's very very bland but these two kind of bleed together because they have a lot of similarities to die of fear i think is the better more you know complete less you know boring movie if that makes any sense and i don't want to say say it's boring it's just it, it takes a long time to get started and by the time it starts to get started it starts to end and you're kind of like well i would have liked a little more of that or maybe we should have kind of started this a little earlier and everything like that and like the reveals are pretty much the um the, the fun part of the movie or the interesting part of the movie but and the subject matter is interesting too but the problem is um, the, the description spoils all that stuff so by the time you even read description the whole movie's spoiled for you so you're just waiting for things to happen that, that's not exactly the movie's fault but uh, yeah that is the house uh, I gotta look at the title again because you know seeing the Spanish the, the Spanish title is what reminded but that house in the outskirts it does not fly off the tongue very smoothly to be honest so yeah um, not a great one but an interesting one to, for people that are curious in this kind of stuff alright we're here for You Ain't Seen and I picked this for you, right? No, I picked. No, I picked it. No, I picked this for you. Oh, you did? Yeah, because you picked Little Shop of Horrors last week. Oh, yeah. So I picked The Clockwork Orange, uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick, 1971, based off, what is it, Burgess? What's the... Anthony Burgess. Anthony Burgess novel. Um, yeah, um, this is a classic movie you haven't seen, and you're a big fan of 2001 and Doctor Strangelove. More so Doctor Strange. Yes, not so much The Shining, so I figured right. let's try another one. So anyways, yeah, I'm familiar with this movie, I've seen this a handful of times, always liked it. Um, pretty much kind of a classic, right? And one of the... Mm -hmm early controversial classics from that time 1971 starring malcolm mcdowell really kind of the the main star of the film um there's other people in here including patrick magney and um who else uh a lot of familiar there's a couple character actors in here which are really wonderful including the guy from life force and uh the mummy movie from hammer the fourth one blood of mummies from the mummies tomb or something along those lines the darth vader right no what are you talking about who plays Darth Vader? In oh, oh, he's in here too. Yeah, um, yeah, the big tall guy. He's also in Vampire Circus. He's in here as well. So I can't remember his actual actor name. But anyways, uh, I don't even know how to go about this plot. Uh, futuristic society where um, the young go to this milk bar, which is just slang for some sort of weird drug, and. They relax, and then they go out and commit a bunch of atrocities and violence. Malcolm McDowell is a sociopath. He doesn't listen to anybody. He just lies. Uh, and he eventually gets caught. He gets put into some prison where he has this weird program that causes him to have violent reaction to sex and violence. And then he is uh, victimized by the people that he once made victims. And then, of course, we have the crazy ending. Um... 
I know that seems like a, just a kind of basic plot, even though it seems weird, but there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of crazy interactions amongst characters, a lot of reveals, um, a lot, it says a lot too. And it's also very darkly comedic, which I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of people touch on. I know a lot of people see the bleakness and the cynicism in human beings, um, and mental health and all that kind of shit, <coughs> but there is a darkly comedic element to it. So what'd you think for the first time watch? Oh, it's fantastic. It was um everything you hope for yeah actually um you know i have only ever read the book um so going into the movie it, it it's done for the most part um pretty faithfully um there is the whole missing chapter thing but that's a weird story yeah, um, and if we get into that i mean we're going to spoil this movie but yeah, it basically says a, a different and, and that's not different from kubrick to change the source material well um well, we we could talk about the ending yeah, when we yeah. get to the ending, um, because it's not like it, it wasn't intentional. It's 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 really weird to to explain. And then um, we also have you know about the Kubrick pulling the movie himself. Oh, he pulled the movie in UK. He pulled the movie himself. Oh, I do. I do. I did he hear was that. Worried about people committing crimes because of it. Well, I, I guess there were a lot of copycat yeah. or something, and it, which is. So, uh, so like, the, so the story it doesn't it doesn't necessarily take place in the future as much. Yeah, it's a future, but it's not like a distant future. It's like kind of like yeah. a alternative future, a to- totalitarian. Yeah, but like a relatively inept totalitarian. It's like the government's totalitarian, but the people just kind of like do whatever they they want run amok in the street. Um, you know, Alex isn't necessarily the only who's there's played by Mark McDowell. Yeah, there's a bunch of different gangs. We're all kind of shitty people. Um, you know, violence is kind of rampant and, and that's made prevalent um in the opening of the movie when they attack the bum. Yeah, for no reason. Just right, for, for no reason. He said, you know, there's no law and order anymore. We put a man on the moon and, you know, we we leave the earth to rot. I mean... And then you get all the crazy conspiracy theories with Kubrick on the moon. And right, fucking, right, right. Oh. I don't give a shit. <laughs> don't give a shit. You know what I mean? We, we could go in that direction. Um, but, uh, no, yeah, well, you know, they were going to film the fake moon landing, but then when Roswell happened and they had to get the aliens, like, well, okay, well, we move along. We're filming the fake moon move landing along. here, and okay, um, so, so, uh, so, what is what is this movie about? Is it about, um, you know, free choice? So you have a totalitarian government that has no control, and so it starts this program where, hey, we can get rid of crime. If we make you violently ill towards it, they have symptoms uh, systems for that for alcoholics. Yeah, they give you medicine mm-hmm. that you if you drink alcohol you get violently ill. Right, smoking. They do um, the same thing with the gastric bypass. When you mm-hmm. eat those foods, you just get sick, and it's not good for you, and you actually feel sick, from my understanding. Mm-hmm. So, so like. It does answer, like, it brings up a lot of these questions. The priest says that, too. He says, right. if they have no free will, what you're just making zombies. But I think some of the favorite interactions are actually from the guy who takes over. I think, is he a governor, or who is he? He's some sort of political... He he, he's, he's, like, he's the minister, prime, prime minister of... He's not the prime minister, but he is the minister of something, like, well, like civil affairs. A- anyways, or... this guy is wonderful, and yeah. he reminds me of Reguero Diodato. He looks like Diodato mixed with, like, Peter Cushing. I he's feel. Peter Cushing mixed <laughs> with Reguero Diodato. And he has this, this wonderful, like, every time he talks, when he goes in initially, he's supposed to head this program where you're going to, like, cause the, the prisoners to be so violently ill from it. And he just seems to want to do this as fast as possible. And at the very ending, of course, it goes wrong, and he's kind of, the fingers pointed at him to 
blame. And it's just perfect that he's rubbing shoulders with this politician, this violent sociopathic criminal, now free to do whatever he wants, basically rubbing elbows and getting force-fed, getting not mm. force-fed, but fed, uh, weighted hand and foot. I just love that, that whole little touch right there at the end. Well, it, and so it's, it's not necessarily that the ex-corporate goes wrong. It, it is really technically a success. Like, yeah. Alex is unable to act violently but you it's know, like taking a person. cat's claws front claws off exactly you know the problem is is that you you not everybody in society has had this done um and so there's an opposing um resistance to the government and and that's um had by the writer who was one patrick of, magney right who was actually one of um His alex's victims. victims that reveal when he realizes it right well, well so, so so let's not go there yet so okay. so so he is trying to fight against the government, yeah. you know, to, you know, like overtaking away your control, your free will, like, and like, look what happened to you. You got, you know, thrashed, you poor boy. And let me take you in and we're going to make an example of you. And, you, you know, we'll overflow this government. I got people that can help you. And then, of course, he realizes who he is. At the very beginning, he, had, him and his wife were attacked viciously. Right. His wife actually died afterwards. Right. But his reveal is completely, like, over the top. And I'm surprised Kubrick had him, allowed him, because Patrick Magny is like a... I don't want to say he's a Vincent Price type, but I think he is. Like, he is that caliber. Every time you see him, he's a little over the top. He's a little classically trained in a lot of ways. And a lot of these actors do seem so. And, and they're perfect for it. And Magni just, he absolutely steals the movie and the, his moments. Um, and when he, like, he has that meltdown where he's, like, shaking like that. And he's, like, he, he wants to, like he starts it becoming the person that wants to fight against the systematic bullshit that he sees. Right. But he can't help himself but to get revenge, therefore having a free will. To, it's just really funny, like, because you would do that. And a lot of people see a real oh, right. cynical thing in there. But, like, the line that sticks out to me is, try the try the wine. Or, or, or like, well, before he's just like, how's the food? And he's just, like, so <laughs> loud. It's like he's clearly, like, unhinged at this point. That's why, you know, I know we were going to do the Amicus, <coughs> like, and watch all the Amicus movies in order, but mm -hmm. I really want you to see Tales from the Crypt because he is in this one called Blind uh, Allies. Mm-hmm. Or is it Plain Alley? I always mix it up. But he's tremendous in it. And there's one with Peter Cushing in it, too, that's really good. And I just, I'm like, you got, I can't believe you have never seen 1972's Tales from the Crypt. It's such a good movie. It, um, I think you would like it better than Creepshow. Because I know you're not a big anthology fan. I am, obviously. Yeah, I love it's anthologies. weird with, with, with anthologies. I, I, you know, I don't know. Like, they're okay, but I, I feel like with an anthology, you get one good one and then, like, three mad ones. Almost and... all of them are good in the Tales from the Crypt. All, I, I like all of them. They range in quality, though. You right. Know? You know, some, are, I, some are I've five seen, out of some are ten out of ten. Yeah, like, and I've seen some fantastic tales from the crypt. You, you know, it's like I'm I'm not a stranger to them. It's, well, that's a TV show. The movie's yeah. different. It's like classic. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, seventy two yeah. Amicus, and then the Vault of Force, the same deal. And from right. the Grave, similar. So so yeah, like I I just the acting's great in here, and I want to point out. I think his name is Del. Is his name Deltoid? The guy, the school guy, the parole officer, school guy. He is such a creep, and he's like, yes, yeah. yes, He's like the guy yes. from The Simpsons. Uh, <laughs> I had a stroke guy. Uh, that guy, I think is, that guy's based on Vincent Price. Right, talk yeah. Like he's great in it. Um, Like, everybody's great in it. And, like, I don't even know, like, would you consider, like, the style of the houses, like, they call it Art Deco? Or what is it? Like futuristic nonsense? No, like, it's it's like it's like mid century modern. I mean, you know, they're like seventy styles houses, seventy style sensibilities. But you know, they do try to kind of like push it towards that like sterile Jetsons future. You know, like like 
it's it's utopian and dystopian and you know people like like lay on stairs and it like like well, it's just this the movie does have like a misogynistic quality to like the society you would think so because even the tables are women like so he's like oh you know, yeah and like all the women in the movie are treated so poorly like in the beginning the gangs are fighting who gets to rape this woman all right. sorts of shit like that so like i, I don't think obviously kubrick is not that i don't think like no, just because no, a director no. puts something in the movie or a writer does it just doesn't mean that they're just saying that this is the society or this is like you know what i mean it's like but it brings up a lot of stuff, and I've seen a lot of people just not be able to take it because they said they don't like it because it's just so cynical. But I am really I have a really dark sense of humor, so I feel like it's kind of that way too. Like, have you ever it... seen Ghost of the Civil Dead? Like, mm. it's a prison film, and in the movie, like they're really strict and they beat down their criminals, and like they don't want to lose funding because they don't want like the more leftist approach to the prison to where they actually are, you know, trying to um actually put people better in society so what they do is they release the most violent prisoner on purpose because they know he's going to fuck up in society so society can point at him and say hey we told you this would happen but you wanted to put them back out in there and he committed a violent crime so we are right and we want the same control like that it's just a weird touch about it and this movie kind of feels that we i don't even know what it's trying to say because it's trying to say like like the worst person got off you know what i mean like he gets to walk away Who's the worst person? Well, who is really right, Malcolm right. McDowell? Yeah, or the or the the, the the society that's been created. Right, right. So, so I don't necessarily know that the movie's cynical, but again, I am. Um, I I I was familiar with the book first, yeah. and so the book does explain some things. I think a bit more. The movie necessarily isn't. Yeah, society's kind of meh. Um, you know, but the totalitarian government is also an ineffective government, as governments can sometimes be um i don't think that it's cynical it's because yeah the world's shitty but if you want your crystal utopia what do you take away you take away your free choice um you know you take away your ability to be who you are like 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 at the end of the day who you are is who you are and that's removed like if if Alex cannot be Alex, then what is he? Well, he's he's the clockwork orange. He's something that is organic and, and you know created in nature, but at the same time, he's an automaton. He's artificial. That's that's what. Well, it's body snatchers. Oh, you he... know the major body snatchers. Oh, yeah, they're all perfect. There's no violence, but they're all. They're, they're, well, they're body snatchers is is, is well. That's an the entire, story. Like... That that's what they their argument was in there. Like you know what I mean? Like there'll be no war. There'll be no right. this. Right, but but body snatchers—it's a replacement of. But yeah. in this case, it's, it's it's closer to like Sonic the Hedgehog, where they roboticize the animals. Well, no, <laughs> it's also the same as like one of the cuckoo's nest in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, because yeah. they lobotomize the people and they send. In the book, they mention that like they even like it's a the book's different from the film, but they mentioned you know one of these people that was lobotomized. Even they think the rumor was he even went and got married, but well, it's just I, it's I zombies. Had, I had always thought that um these were the Clockwork Orange and um. Cuckoo's Nest were related, um, but and I think it's one because like they have the same covers on the DVD, like the same style. They're both they're the Warner same company. Um, but but there, there's 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 connections in, in both books too. You, you know, like like how mental patients are treated. You know, obviously you have the the stuff in uh, Cuckoo's Nest. Um, you know, the drugs, the lobotomization, and really what the ex- I can't remember what the name of the experiment is. In this offhand in, in yeah. Clockwork Orange, but it's it's really a type of lobotomy. I mean, it, it's not, but it's you know like the 
Pavlov dog ringing bell thing. Yeah. Conditioned response. Yeah. There we go. Yes. Um. So yeah. So yeah. The movie does come across as cynical, but um, in the when so when the book was published back in the seventies, um, it had a an extra chapter when it was and you know he was a british author when they moved it over to america the american publishers were like we don't want the last chapter in there we want it, i we think that it's a more impactful book without the final coda and so and that's the book that kubrick read so that's the movie that he made and it wasn't until he was nearly done so they say that he realized oh there's an additional chapter but he didn't like it or he just was like well, well it's already you know the movie i think at that point was already done um, um malcolm mcdowell in the movie is fucking great oh yeah yeah um but i, I want to talk about the other chapter okay yeah yeah sorry <laughs> i know i know i didn't know what you're getting into i didn't know if you're going to keep going into it but yeah the other chapter in the book so yeah. so the other chapter in the book because you know you look at the movie it's cynical you know like but if you yeah, it's it's cynical in the movie, but the book itself is that in time, Alex learns to just be Alex, and he learns to make the conscious choice to be a good person. That you know that these acts of violence, however intense that they are, are just what you do in your youth. And I don't know if that works as well because the, we don't have an inner monologue. Does the book have an inner monologue of Alex or no? Like we do have narration of Alex, but it's yeah. all about just what he's planning on doing in the violence. But like so. The way he's portrayed, it, it, he seems to be irreversible by actual his own intent. But do you think that him going through what he did actually helped him? No, no, because when you think he, he's just saying eventually you'll grow out so, of it. So in the book, Alex is much younger. He's like a 16, okay. 17 year old. And I think um, he's supposed to be here too. It's and just. Yeah, you know, I think they, they did age him up maybe to like 18, 19. But like, and even at that age, when you're, you know late teen it is you know like you versus the fucking world like you have figured everything out um you know nobody can tell you how to live your life you're like you you've already solved the world it's you're going to change the world you're going to be the greatest thing for this planet i mean and is that not what alex is alex is an incredibly proud person he has his ideas. He he wants to do the things he wants to do. You know, he he doesn't want to go to school. He he wants to go out all night and you know have sex and be violent and get in fist fights and you know do drugs and like isn't that what you know hooligan kids do? And then you know they get to their you know late twenties and thirties and hopefully the world beat them down and not that like okay I just have to be a good I person. just have to get a job right you you know it's just uh, what's it's that saying that like unfortunately we exist in a society you know yeah. and, and but at the end of this one suggests that he just went back to doing what he did and and probably got away scot free even with ties to politicians. I would say that in the end of the movie, it, no, it's not that he went to how he was it was so when when um the minister is feeding him it's like look Not the, yeah the, the politician guy i know yeah yeah I, when i say minister i we, mean we got you we got okay you. yeah um so he's saying look the, there are people out there that want to you know corrupt you and you may have you be an example you know we're going to lose that that election we're going to yes yeah, so people yeah. see our flaws in our process but if you scratch our back, we'll scratch yours. So, so we'll let you go. 
It, well, it's not that. So he gives him a, a job in the government. Yeah, he, he helps him out. He's yeah. going to help him out, but he, you know, in order to do that, he has to be a good person. It's so. It, in the end of the movie, it's like Alex gets to be Alex. He like doesn't he, necessarily have to be a good person. He just has to tell them that wasn't their fault into the public, so they get the public to not just blame this guy for everything. So that's what he's right, really right, wants. right, right. Alex gets to be Alex. He gets to have his thoughts of like you know sex and violence, but he must be a good person like he must, must follow the rules possibly, he must follow possibly. the rules or possibly follow the rules and, and yeah they leave it open and again they do cut it short um and they do show you that he is still obsessed with the things he was obsessed but therefore right. that shows you that maybe more people in society are thinking all these thoughts all the time but oh, don't we don't all have, have right. but i'm just saying you know so so that way. right you, you know you must have you know self-control um and, and the, the another thing we should mention is how how Kubrick uses like classical music, and just to like perfection, right? Oh music yeah, comes in yeah. Everything's wonderful, but there's there's nothing wrong with any of the cinematography, acting, music choices. All that's going to be spot on, no matter what. A- absolutely, yeah. So, um, it is in uh, Creature Features, and I find it interesting to read something by John Stanley just to see what he thinks about a Clockwork Orange. Um, four out of five, writer, producer, director, Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece on brainwashing and the price we pay for conformity. Based on Anthony Burgess's novel, the setting is the not-too-distant future of England where droogs, ruffians, and malcontents rove the countryside, pillaging and raping. One of these youths, Malcolm McDowell, is arrested for murder. He is processed through a rehab center until he reaches a uh, pacifistic state. The Kubrick touch dominates this usual tale. Patrick Magny, Michael Bates, Adrian Corey, David Prowse. Darth Vader. That's David Pross. Yeah. So yeah, um, he gave it four out of five. I'm five out of five. Ten out of ten. It's I, a yeah, classic. I'm, I, I'm five out of five. Um, How could you not? Go, going with, with you know calling them droogs. Um, so so the original author was a he wasn't like a like an author. He yeah. wasn't like a novelist. He, he was actually a linguist. Um, and in writing this book, he makes his own language. Um, that Alex and his little cohorts, his droogs, the drink. Speak. The drink is a one he made up too. The name of the drink, I believe, the milk, the milk. The, oh yeah, I don't yeah. Know what it's called. Well, well, they, they like so like what he does in his language is he takes like like Russian words, um, like like Russian slang, like Slavic slang, uh, UK slang, and like Shakespeare, and he kind of like mishmashes them. So like when you're watching the movie, you don't, you know, you don't know these words, these terminologies. They don't take the time to explain that like "drug" is like a Russian slang word for teenager. You... Well, you, you get it as a thug or a goon or a, right. a, a uh, ruffian. Like he has that word, but uh, what, what's he called? Testicles when he's about to fight the one guy. Um, but you know, they, they have all these words. But you, and the pick... head too. What he says in this head, right? But you know, you you pick that up via the context, like, and even in the book. Um, at least the one I had didn't really have like a. Uh, like a dictionary or anything like you just had to figure it out by context and i think i think that was really neat and it's actually why i read the book in the first place you can um, figure out most things by context oh all of it is in the language it, you yeah then you're kind of sol yeah you know so so it, it was just it's just like a really neat flowery way of like i think talking and i mean it, reading the book is actually a huge joy um and then watching the movie and seeing it put in use is i think fantastic uh, but yeah i would i would totally give this a five-star movie i, I absolutely and, adored it and it's a huge cult classic many people love it do you think that some people uh take the wrong thing away from this kind of movie yeah that's what kubrick was worried about i think it's possible so like this is coming at like right at the start of like like the censorship and like the margaret thatcher conservative movement um 
because like when did she when did the naughty list happen? The video nasty started in our late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. The video 80s. store is kind of when it happened. So. Right, you know, and so but 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 isn't it funny that like Kubrick makes this ultra sexual, ultra violent, you know, film, um, and it's based off a well respected book. It's but well, yeah, but um, so he makes this like like super shocking, super. Like, oh, my God, how can anybody watch this? And, you know, oh, it's going to, you know, it's going to torment society. And, and you know, all the kids are going to run amok. And, and, like, what's what's the treatment for for Alex? Alex has to watch ultra-sexual and ultra-violent films. And it causes him to have revulsion But they give him it. drugs, too. They do give him drugs, yes. You're, you're absolutely he right. he hates Beethoven's knife because of it. He's sick of it. So in so in the actual book, Alex likes all music. It's not yeah. just Beethoven, but um, he, because of the music playing, he, he not only does he have the aversion to um, sex and violence, but also music, yeah. and that's what drives all him. All music? All music, and that's what oh. drives him to suicide. Um while in this one, it's specifically Beethoven. So I think I think it's a fun motif because it, it yeah. pops up, you know, so, so many times throughout the film. Um, you, you know, the, the, like like his fascination of Beethoven is, I think, just a really fun, fun thing that that the character has. Oh, we should mention the other Drukes, Dim in particular. Yeah, like I love that. Like the two most violent of the Drukes besides himself ended up being the cops that pick him up and they're just like need you want to hire the most brutal thugs to put society in line right and And, you know you know i think that's a commentary on something else i will say that it it, that part is different in the book um where it's the a cop that uh, you know abuses alex isn't his former cohorts um you actually find out that um i think one or two of them at least i know georgie dies um but the cop that he runs into is actually the other gang billy oh which makes a little bit more sense right um you know but you know in, in the movie version they they changed it to um yeah to, to his former cohorts. dim and georgie dim and georgie um and they, they never do anything with the third guy and i always forget his name oh yeah he doesn't um, do much yeah um another big change so you know in the scene where he picks up the two girls at the record store and yeah they're like know, 13 14 aren't they in the book uh, probably younger than that and it's not like a consensual oh yeah scene it's i i mean it's it, it's like violent rape so well there's uh, a lot of that in this movie so be warned yeah yeah lots of rapes lots of lots of sex and violence you know it's the good old in and out <laughs> um yeah i mean it's a classic and not much more we can say what are we watching next week oh oh i get to pick next week don't i yeah. i did hmm. you i did you a solid you did do me a solid I didn't even think about it because I thought that I picked this movie. I, I don't know. Um, um. Oh, do you want to watch the second part of that vampire movie? Sure, it's short. We'll do it's it. Short, short and easy. So it's uh, I can't think of the name right now. Yeah, because not very memorable. Kitaguri. That sounds right. That sounds, sounds right. also I, delicious. I just I just said a random Japanese word. Is that some sort of like delicious food? I don't. I have no idea. We're done. We're done. Bye, guys. Okay, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that good stuff. So last week I asked you a movie that you loved um, back in the day as a kid that doesn't hold up now. So yep. So Bad Brains Horror. Hey Dave, that fade to black release was awesome. I picked up Raven Banders: The Sadness. Looks like one of the best zombie movies for ages. I'm behind on the secret top ten videos. Looking forward to all of them. Keep up the hard work. I really want to check out the evil dead trap 2 from on earth yeah the sadness is great um evil dead trap 2 is definitely worth watching too um brian sattler or b sat sorry wrong 
wrongfully accused. <laughs> um, and then Daniel Startek. Um, get a shave, put on a shirt, and get a job. I have a job. I don't have to wear a fucking shirt. I am wearing I was wearing a shirt. And, dude, stop. Get help. Um, so, and then our, okay, Nick Mua, your show continues to be a breath of fresh air on a weekly basis, sir. Thank you. And this weather, we can use it. Though I loved and continue to love original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Use, has lost its charm for me. It's just too goofy. Go Ninja, go Ninja, yikes. Um, so many of these superhero franchises devolve into silliness. Superman, Batman, the MCU, what gives? I feel like, though, a lot of the stuff, the subject material is goofy, so I think they should just follow the subject material. As far as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, that was directly made for kids, so now that you're older, it probably doesn't hold up. So it happened with me as well. Um, which monster works best in a horror comedy? Um, it really all depends. I mean, zombies are easy to do anything with. You can have them scary, funny, Return of the Living Dead, or you can have them goofy, funny, Shaun of the Dead. So, I mean, probably zombies just because they're the most versatile. Vampires can be versatile too. Which monster doesn't lend itself to comedy at all? I mean, I, I, you think Mummy, but of course you have Abigail Stella meet the Mummy. Uh, you can do anything, really. I mean, any movie can be comedic, I guess, right? Um, I'm trying to think. Sea Creature, you have They Bite. Um, they're just all sorts of things. Like, I don't think there's any distinct monster that's not very funny. There's not very many Golem movies, but hey, you know, Frankenstein is kind of like a Golem-like creature himself, and there's young Frankenstein. So, like, I don't know if there's any distinct monster that's just not very funny in general that you couldn't use. Um Unless it's just something really gross. Um, I mean, like, I, I'm sure there are some that are just, like, way too gross or offensive to use in any comedy that works. Um, what's the best horror movie documentary to date, according to you? Now, I don't know if I have any personal, like, pre I don't have any, you know, objectivity. What's the best? I don't. I mean, I like Document of the Dead because it's a subject I love. But as far as the best horror documentary, I can't really give you one. But I say Document of the Dead I really like. Um, have some fun in the sun. I'm starting to get, like, these weird, like, I'm starting to get burnt. I'm getting old. I'm getting those sunspots on my face because of the sun. Elk Vomit. I can't believe I live in a world where Uncle Sam is on 4K. I'm still sitting here waiting for Todd Browning's Freaks to get a 480p release. <laughs> Right? Uh, thanks, Warner Brothers. We want fucking freaks on a 4K. Do Gulag. I remember renting Funeral Home on Paragon VHS as a kid. Seemed too classy for Paragon. That's what I want on my funeral, by the, on my tombstone. Too classy for Paragon. I love that. Ken Coakley. Fade to Black is my favorite from that year. My theory about Eric Benford is that he would have snapped no matter what he was into. I think, like me, he had Asperger's and had the same obsession as myself. I talk movies 24-7, but never use my knowledge to fight off bullies, and there were plenty of those. If I tried to tell my older brother anything about movies, he would reply, nobody cares. I know the feeling. <laughs> um, also, like Binford, I went around not knowing what I had. I was born in 1966, and Hans Asperger didn't give it the name until 94. So I was pushed around until I grew my hair long and dressed like I was in a thrash metal band, as did my friends. The bowling stopped. My mother saw Fade to Black when I was at school, and she flipped out. She was under the impression that I was going to do what he did. She forgot that I was then and still am into faith-based movies especially ones with jesus in them while i do have long hair and a beard um and am compassionate towards animals and less fortunate people my compassion is just part of my nature jesus was about peace as i am but i also i became furious when i hear about animal cruelty and child abuse once again i was just wired that way yeah i mean like everybody's completely different i mean i think anybody that was into horror films or that kind of stuff at at one point uh, extremely people were like oh you're you're gonna snap you know 
I don't think it's a it's a um, an entity that's not typical. You know, I mean not entity, but a thing that's not typical. Um, RB, I try to stay more po- mostly positive, but I'm going to sound like a hater here. There's a lot of movies I loved as a kid that don't hold up for me now. Any of the Rambo movies, any Rocky movie after Part Two. I liked Top Gun as a kid and watched it a couple years ago and thought it was very mediocre to say the least. Here's why I'll probably get the heat. I'm not a big fan of Nightmare on Elm Street movies as an adult. I rarely ever give them a rewatch. I'll also throw in Gremlins, Pet Cemetery Two, Children of the Corn, and Sleepaway Camp. Love those movies as a kid, but not so much anymore oh it hurts travis linscom i would say night of the hunted is actually not typical of john roland's work because it's in the cityscapes instead of gothic castles or cloudy beaches it's got a cold futuristic feel about it like john roland doing cronenberg it's also got a sci-fi bend that it does that his work doesn't usually have very good points very true um i would just say though that tonally and um pacing is, is very much john roland and it looks like it again location does change and you are right and i'm sure you've seen more john roland movies than me but when i compare it to like grapes of death and stuff it does have a lot of similarities just in the tone and the characters and stuff like that um dagger renal Macami, possibly the most expensive pepsi commercial of all time joe graciano um i can only watch the M- mtsk version of it and dan keenan um please do not disrespect coke like that um i'm definitely gonna lose my audio at one point but i'm gonna roll with it guys sorry so it's gonna cut to camera audio it shouldn't be that big of a deal for you david gibson this is for my teens but i revisited the crow and it's utter garbage i really liked it when it came out but i think i was influenced more by the soundtrack and the loss of uh jason instead of the film itself um uh so is it brandon lee or jason is the character's name i don't remember the character's name uh and then we have danger renault i used to think the guitar solo was so freaking cool nathan rumbler i rewatched that movie for the first time since my teens very recently too felt the same exact way did not hold up for me at all cool soundtrack though haha peter mccain yeah i couldn't finish it and Thomas Gleba, right? In all respect for the late Brandon Lee, but it's not like he was a super gifted legendary thespian like people who worship the film as some gothic masterpiece make him out to be. Um, and I, I completely on the same page. When I rewatched it, I never loved it that much as a kid. I liked it, but rewatched it, I, I realized that some of the, you know, some of the locations were cool and 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 the character actors in it were cool. But it's just really hard for me to watch. I cringe a lot. Um, so, um, Daniel Carson, it's not horror, but Chomps is really terrible. Um, Belladonna. I recently watched 976 Evil 2 and it was so awful. I loved it as a kid though. And the full moon movie arcade, maybe it's the effects. I didn't hate 967 Evil 2, but I didn't love it as a kid either. I watched it for the first time for uh, a couple years ago. John uh, Grizafi, Food of the Gods. Yeah. Um, I liked that movie as a kid. I haven't rewatched it. And I just remember like numerous rats really getting shot. And I'm just like, you know what? Maybe I don't want to rewatch it. I know whatever. I'll rewatch it eventually. But it's just like not looking forward to seeing a bunch of rats get shot for food of the gods. Um, Rebecca, uh, Lacey Lou, dead dudes in the house. Uh, Rebecca Reinhardt. Oh, God, I bought that VHS release because I remember liking it as a kid. Let's just say that was 30, 40 bucks. I'll never get back. Um, they make some jokes about it. Um yeah, so it seems like they really liked it. They're going to do a drunk commentary for their show, Slumber Party uh, Mass- uh, Massacre Podcast, which is a really good show. Christopher Webb, Godzilla 98, Rich Rabbit, Summer Camp Nightmare, and I guess Neil Malloy still loves it. Um, Jonathan Knight, nothing. If you guys don't know Jonathan Knight, he does B-Movie Madness on YouTube. Check him out. Neil Lemoy, Spaceballs, right? Uh, Sebastian Sanjaro Aries, Super Mario Brothers. Kayla Gray, I love Jason X as a teenager. Then I grew up and realized I only like the Frozen Head Smash scene and the rest of it trash. Brandon Terry, Frozen Head Smash and the virtual campsite scene. Oh, yeah. Okay, Mike Mitchell, Garbage Pail Kids the movie. Somebody makes a joke that never held up. Jamal Potter, Cody Billings, Eight-Legged Freaks, Joachim Johansson, Godzilla 98, Scott Philip Jorgensen's Wayne's World, Jamie J. Salmon's Terror Vision. 
mm, hurting me. Um, she replies to somebody. It, she says it bores her now. Sorry. Corlea Waring, we're back. A dinosaur story. It's actually a really dark, messed up film. Watched it a few years ago and was blown away at how fucked up it was. Hell, the main character, main bad guy is eaten by a murder of crows at the end. And that's all that's left is his, and all that's left is his fake eye. Like, should have been traumatizing. Definitely thought it was great as a kid, though. LOL. Matthew Kenner, uh, go bots, battle all the rock lords. Brooklyn Ewing, a cabin boy. Bill Casanelli, dead hate the living. Marcus Cook, Garbage Pail Kids, the movie. I love that it's called Garbage Pail Kids, the movie. It makes cracks me up. Um, Gabrielle Juliet, Godzilla 98, Jason Wallace. Uh, that did hold up to begin with. And then Cal Rayburn, Spawn, minus John Leguizamo, John Bludgeon. I wasn't a kid when it came out, but a uh, rewatch of Idle Hands didn't play as well as it did 20 years ago. Cody Lee Harden, Abraxas. Uh, Peter England's 007 Moonraker, including still one of the best openings in James Bond movie history. Mike Merriman, Friday 7. J- Jason Patrick, Power Rangers. Abigail Dagon, Children of the Corn, Thomas Gleba, Outlander, We Have Your Woman, is cringy as fuck. Who wrote that and thought it was good? Um, she, she mentions, I absolutely loved that movie as a kid and as a teen. A few years ago, I wanted to show it to my boyfriend at the time, and we had not seen it. He was like, really? I couldn't believe how bad it was. Um, <laughs> Thomas Gleba, Children of the Corn is hot buttered dog shit. I don't think it's that bad, but I don't think it's a masterpiece, of course. J.P. Andrika, I like the later sequels. There are there cheesy B-movies, Carol Downing. Um, the first movie is awful, and I felt that it, the fact that it inspired how, forgot how many sequels is mind-blowing. Brandon Young, Dolls, Saturday the 14th, Howard the Duck, should have left those in my past. Christopher Luciani, Explorers. Um, J.P. Andrika, I'd imagine many movies I loved as a kid wouldn't hold up. Jawbreaker was always a third-rate Heather's knockoff. It had a decent cast and soundtrack, though, but the movie was never that good. Many shows uh, I enjoyed as a teen are just corny and cringe-inducing now. David Russ, J.P. Andrika, Jawbreaker was awful. Saw that a few months ago, and yeah, it didn't hold up at all. Now American Pie I saw last year, and it held up well. Eurotrip is another one that held up well. I'm going to uh, watch Tomcat soon as if... uh, that see if that one held up david russ the witches i think that's what it's called and the, when the two boys turn into the rats it is uh, ryan paul a lot of slasher movies jonathan talbot the spawn jonathan edward smith the pumpkin carver lol and for some reason i also watched axum at least 20 times as a kid and holy shit it's so bad damon rickard police academy 2 um priscilla man man with the x-ray eyes eric whiting godzilla 98 flight of the intruder mission impossible 2 star wars episode 1 laura craft tomb raider i still like and can watch all those but they are heavily flawed i used to say space jam but it has done a 180 and become the perfect time capsule of everything 90s so it has its merits carol downing phantasm the first movie thought it was scary back then and although it has its cool moments it's not scary anymore uh richard taylor bill and ted's excellent adventure uh, this is funny. At JM Channel, Richard Taylor. Yeah, watching this adult, I'm like, this isn't realistic at all. Richard Taylor, LOL. Not about realism, just doesn't hold up. Not as fun as I remember when I saw it as a kid. I was excited to show my youngest son the film, and it was let down. Garbage Pail Kids is another one that doesn't hold up well at all. JM Channel, um, it's cool. I'm just goofing. It's one of my favorite things to do when jokingly critiquing a movie. You know, I caught that new Toy Story the other day, and I gotta say, not very believable. Um, Skip Barber, I asked the question last week. I answered the question last week when you asked, Hitchcock's the trouble. He says with Charlie, I think he means Harry. And then Aaron R. Ryan, Space Jam, a sad face, LOL. Sam Kelly Mills, I realized how old I am seeing the film on this list maybe i make an observation because i'm finding that the films i grew up with the 70s and 80s feel like classics now where the flaws are charming a movie 10 20 years old seems dated films 30 years old feel timeless i understand what you're saying since we're going to uh, talk a little bit, I'm going to show a, 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 a movie book. I want to know what your favorite horror film or movie books are. You know, like if it's by like a Tim Lucas book or anything. What is your favorite, you know, kind of research book, um, 
about films. You know, there's tons of them. Troy Haworth writes some, uh, House of Psychotic Women, any of those. What is your favorite kind of, you know, research book or, or informational book about films? So let me know. That's the question of the week. Um, let's get into this update. All right, let's hop into this update. First up is Captain Invincible from Severn Films with Alan Arkin and Christopher Lee. The return of Captain Invincible, I'm sorry. I've heard of this briefly, and I heard about it on the Severn podcast as well. Sounds like a lot of fun. Pretty cool. Two disc in here, theatrical cut, director's cut. Anyways, uh, yeah, very cool. Christopher Lee in a superhero flick. And Alan Arkin. Strange cast, right? Um, then we have this Chris Frilly box set, a bump in the camera. Of course, you got to bump the camera. Um, it's a Euro Crip of Chris Frilly Collection Volume 2. Nice. It's got uh, Uncle Was a Vampire, The Secret of the Red Orchid, Dark Places, Dracula and Son, Murder Story, Seven Disc, and Book Set, Six Blu-rays, One CD. That is awesome. Um, anyways, it'll go next, right next to the first one. I love that. So, uh, anyways... Good stuff. I've always wanted to see Dark Places and Murder Story are ones I definitely knew about in Dracula and Son. Um, so anyways, that's very cool. Love Christopher Lee. And then we have some uh, other Blu-rays here. We have X-Cross, which is the newer release of X-Cross um, from uh, Media Blasters or Tokyo Shock. I think it's supposed to be a better print on there, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. So, not seen this one. Let me know if it's any good. Then we have Alive, which just got released on uh, Blu-ray from screen uh, from Media Blasters by the director of um, Versus, right? So you got to love that. Uh, very cool. I love that Media Blasters is back, and they're releasing lots of cool stuff on Blu-ray. So we have uh, Doomed uh, Megalopolis Mega uh, Omnibus Edition. So this looks awesome. It's like an anime. I think it's an OVA. Um, I don't know how long it is, What? how many episodes... Um, the entire runtime, um, one thirty. So it's a little two hours and fifteen minutes. Looks cool. I know they made two live action movies based off this, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. And then again, we have the Rise of Machine Girl from uh, Media Blasters. This looks cool. I like the first. No, I've never seen the first Machine Girls. I was thinking Tokyo Gore Police. I think there's kind of like a sequel to that as well. So I definitely have the first Machine Girl. I don't even know if I have that on Blu-ray. It might just be a DVD. I don't remember everything anymore. But uh, yeah. Maybe I'll watch both of those together. And then we have uh, Black Rat. Um, this looks pretty cool. Another Asian flick. Um, Seven Little Mice. Um, yes. Um, from uh, Furisaka, uh, who directed Battle Royale 2 and X-Cross. Very cool. And then last, um, uh, the Asian or the Japanese Blu-rays is uh, Yuka Yuzumaki, which I've had on DVD. Elite put this out. I've got a Blu-ray here, so very cool. I grabbed this. Disco Tech Media putting out Blu-rays again. I know they didn't go away, but it um, feels like they weren't putting out much that I was interested in or I didn't know about, so now they are. Well, they were putting out, I think, um, just uh, animes and stuff, but now they're putting out some more live-action stuff. And I do buy some of the animes, so very cool. Then we have X by, of course, Ty West. I heard great things about this. Super interested in watching this for sure. Um, yeah, it's, get, it's getting some great reviews from people. And then on DVD, um, we have The Reap of Evil, which is Brian Pollan, uh, one of his first films. It's a short film from a first full-length movie film between 92 and 94. Hidden for over 20 years, so I'm sure there's some cool, gnarly special effects in there. Got it off the uh, marketplace on Facebook. And last up, if I can show the whole thing, I'll zoom out a little bit, is the Splinter Visions, um, Lucio Fulci and his films by Troy Haworth. Um, yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, just lots of great stuff in here. I've only got a chance to start look through it and read one of the reviews, but he goes over all his movies. Of course, we have Zombie in there, Gates of Hell. 
Cal, all the classics. Um, so, so pretty cool. Black Cat, uh, The Beyond. You got to love that. There's also interviews with people on here. Troy's a cool dude. Jared Martin interview for New Gladiators. So, yeah, if it sounds like it's up your alley, go pick it up on Amazon. Uh, yeah, I guess we're going to do the Patreon drawing. Um, draw five names uh, for the people. What do we got here? First up is... Chris Rivers, something I want I haven't had time to watch. Okay, uh, very cool. Easy, easy one. Uh, there's tons of those. Something I haven't had a chance to watch that I that I wanted to. Um, then we have Jonathan Wilhelm's Silent Rage with uh, Chuck Norris, of all people. Um, who else pops up here? Okay, James Baker, Kiss of the Damned, which I wanted to see. So um, let's get two more out of here. Um, Tom Brooker, The Devil All the Time, which, um, honestly, it doesn't look like I'm going to like that one. I did watch a chunk of that back in the day when it put on Netflix. Dan, the camera maker, uh, the cameraman filmmaker I haven't seen named Dave or David. Okay. Um, that, that might be a little difficult, but there we go. That's the five picks. Um, again, if you haven't been drawn out in the last few cycles, hit me up and you'll get to skip ahead and get to pick a movie. Anyways, back to the video. So thank you very much guys for watching. And as always, have a good one. Yeah. Oh,